we want to address this and not ignore it. Right. Because it's important and we want to use any platform that we have to say that this is important. Hello and welcome to Hug and a High Five. It's a mom and daughter podcast journal. I'm Ingrid. I'm the daughter. And I'm Vicky. I'm the mom. I'm trying to figure out how to be an adult. I'm trying to figure out how to parent an adult and live as an adult who is more than a parent. I live in New York City. And I live in Los Angeles. And this is Hug and a High Five. Hi, Mom. Hello, Ingrid. I am a little nervous for our conversation today. Yes, we're going to address a hard topic, but a current event topic. Yeah, it's, it's too important not to talk about. When you're listening to this, probably about a week, maybe a little more, out from George Floyd's death in Minnesota, which is only one of so many targeted black deaths in the last months and really in the history of America. And we are two privileged white women. I saw a post, as of so many today, that said, I will never understand your experience, but I stand with you. And so that is the point of our conversation today, to say Black Lives Matter. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's like hard not to just cry talking about it. Um, Black Lives Matter, and we don't understand your experience, but we stand with you. And we'll just talk through our reaction this week and just a little bit of our our experiences growing up in the ways that we're discovering and learning and unlearning the way that we talk about race, you know, really growing up as, as white people. Yeah, what I discovered today in having a difficult conversation with my husband of 20, nearly 27 years about this mm. is interpersonal communication. It's, it's not a new discovery, but it's a true <laughs> discovery. Interpersonal mm. communication is hard, even with yeah. someone that you're devoted to, and especially mm. with someone you're devoted to, because yeah. we can set off each other's triggers. We know each other's history, and we think, why is that still a problem? And don't you understand me better than that? Can't you be more loving and generous to me than that? And I was thinking about this podcast, La Hug and a High Five. And our podcast really is about interpersonal communication and how we do it as adults from a parent to child relationship. And mm. it is not easy, but we wade through it. And all of the discourse going on in the greater public sphere is about action. But before that, there has to be communication and there's so much to unpack. So we're not going to try to tackle everything. We're going to try to be honest and humble and vulnerable from our vantage point. We're trying to be true to ourselves. We're not going to try to take on the world. We're going to try to stay within the sphere that we understand, but we want to address this and not ignore it because it's right. important and we want to use any platform that we have to say that this is important and we are standing with people that say this needs to change. There's no going right. back to normal. We don't want to go back to a normal. Yeah, it's the wrong normal. Right. We want this to change. So Ingrid, you have some interesting questions for us in our ethnicity as Caucasians to explore. Yeah, I. this is questions that I found online that I was so helped by and called out by, which had to do with social media, but it works for our context too. Questions I ask myself as a white person when posting about racism on social media, which will be to our conversation too. Is this post or conversation simply virtue signaling? Is this just us saying, look, I'm a good white person? 
quote unquote. So virtue signaling, I know that I can be guilty of that. I want to raise my hand and say, I'm a good person. I tried this. This is what I do. I I want people to know who I am. So if I post on social media, is that virtue signaling? This was the first one. I'm so glad it's the first question. It's definitely the most potent one, I think, for most people and was the one that called me out the most. Yep. Because honestly, up until this point in my life, most posts have been virtue signaling. Yeah. Um, And that's like, this is me confessing to the world that that is true. And it called me out and I'm so glad of that. Um, Because that I say now is never going to be the case again. There's going to be a step taken today and every day that is action oriented because that's how this changes. I think what's important about all of like just the theme of these questions is the fact that the path toward racial equality is the white person's problem. It is not people of color's job to to change our minds. <laughs> like they've been, that's it's our it's our job to do our part yeah. of that. And I would so. say uh, virtue signaling would be like self justification. And I I've exactly. heard people say like I've done enough. Can you live a day without justifying yourself? And it's hard. It's hard not to. Mm-hmm. It's hard to live out loud. And not justify myself. Yeah. This is our this is our attempt to not just virtue signal. Right. Does posting allow me to feel off the hook for taking meaningful action in my own life? A similar question. I think what virtue signaling does is take you off the hook. And saying, I did something. Yeah, exactly. Which is interesting. I was mentioning today how the youngest generation of the world has found ways to pretty clearly walk that line between where social media is helpful and where it's hurtful. Mm. It is really helpful. It changes the world immensely. But it isn't everything. Mm -hmm. So it's important that this conversation be a, a jumping off point and not just like, check, I did it. I would like that to be the case with me too. So at the end of this, we will talk about some actionable steps that we will take. So we're going to use our voice in our platform here as a small way of standing with other people and not just virtual signaling, but owning our responsibility to the degree that we can. And we plan to take tangible action as well. Whose voice am I centering? This is a good question and a kind of interesting one for us to answer in our podcast because our podcast is personal centered on purpose. It's inward looking to our own relationship. And the hope is that other people feel like they're not alone because we are sharing sharing stories of our life and we figure we're not the only one that have a hard time with this as like whatever we're talking about as a mom and daughter duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, whose voice am I centering? Is it the voice of black leaders that we're lifting up? Is it my voice that I'm trying to center on? If it is my voice, is it in direct response to what I've learned about my role in displaying racism? Mm. That's what's important. And it'll be tricky to figure out because we have to talk from our own experience. Again, like I can only stand with you. I can't understand your experience as a black American. Yeah. So I, I the was... hope is that our conversation is in response to understanding our role as white people who can be a part of change. With a desire to be part of systemic change, not just one-time thing, but a systemic change. Um, The last question is, am I new to this conversation? Am I just now beginning to understand historical context and what's at stake? Is it a time when it is most important for me to shut my mouth and listen instead? Have I done enough work to relearn the history of our country that is rooted in violence against Black people? So if I was going to answer that, I could truthfully say, no, I am not new to this conversation. I... 
That's interesting. I would say that I am. Mm -hmm. Am I new to racism in America? No. But I have not done a lot of work to relearn the history of our country from what I learned in school. I think that we'll talk about the ways that we as a family worked through my whole childhood to talk about accurate history and not the history of the conquerors. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't know the depths. I, yeah, I, I think, I just think that there's such a vast amount that I have to learn still that it feels still new. And that's why it's pretty nerve wracking to talk about because I, I just, I just want to do it justice. And I guess the best way to do that is actually mostly going to be just to say that I'm going to listen better and research better. Uh, one of the privileges, uh, uh, white privileges, is to um, not have the conversation at all. So we can be guilty of racial omission. Yeah, right. So we have, we right. have the freedom to forget. The worst thing we could do right now is stay silent completely. So in my life, I have participated in racial reconciliation uh, workshops, intentional day-long workshops where I've tried to learn about the perspective of other races. I've participated in a multi-ethnic learning community where I've intentionally tried to learn about my ethnicity, the virtues and vices of my ethnicity, uh, which is beautiful to actually look beyond the word race, which is politically charged, and look at ethnicity. I have... Uh, actively sought out people of different ethnicities in my lifetime to befriend. I've actively served in different communities along the socioeconomic scale, partly right. taking you to places when you were a child, wanting to expose you to people that were experiencing homelessness or experiencing food shortages. And all of those conversations, I mean get interlinked so fast yeah. because of the systemic nature of this evil in our society. The impoverished in the country mm -hmm. are by and large, quote unquote, minority groups as well. But even in hearing myself say that, I feel like I'm, uh, what do you call it at the beginning? Virtue casting? Yeah. Virtue signaling. Signaling. Right. <laughs> virtue signaling. So, I tried. I did the thing. So yeah. It's, I can answer yes to the last question, but at the same time, then I'm answering yes to the first question. <laughs> so, And I know that a lot of it is the heart of it. The first question in my virtue signaling is about the heart of the issue because the action might look exactly the same, mm -hmm. but the heart underneath is, am I looking for affirmation myself or not? We did this week pull together a group of people of different ethnicities to talk about what was going on and hear from different viewpoints and get first emotional reactions from people of different ethnicities. We didn't want it to be the only mm -hmm. action we took, but we wanted it to, it to be an initial action we took. One of the things that I find difficult is having assumptions made yeah. and not having had people ask me the question. And even when people ask me a question, it might trigger in me mm. a antagonistic response if I perceive the tone in their voice as being antagonistic right. and not being open. And e even that 
is hard. This gets to interpersonal communication because I may perceive an antagonistic tone in someone's voice who's just asking an open question because of my history and the path that I have walked. So I would like to say that I'm open and generous with people asking me questions. But if I perceive a tone in their voice that's slightly antagonistic and I'm feeling insecure about my point of view, then my response might be reactionary. And then it it just everything starts Mm -hmm. to escalate from there and the conversation starts to get more charged. So it's a super delicate situation. I faced that today, even in my conversation with daddy. We spent a half an hour unpacking two two sentences uh, and just take that a step further to someone who has much different history, who I'm not as close to or connected with. And the patience that we it would take to communicate with them and even my desire I know some people get to the point of being like, I might not see you again, so I don't really care. But that is where we need to move past that and to say, I do care about you, even though you're an acquaintance. Well, I love that you're so immediately connecting interpersonal communication with a conversation about like national systemic racial prejudice, (laughs) because it gets to feel so huge so fast. Yeah. My first reaction to George Floyd's death was horror but a a sort of understated, like, I wish I was surprised kind of thing, you know, like, because it's too, it's too systemic to be surprised by it. It just has to be fought and changed. But then my second kind of thought was like, just where do I even start? And I think it's, it's important, totally to your point to say, well, it starts personally. It starts with interpersonal communication. It starts with you in your home with your four friends on Zoom that you connected with and had an open conversation about mm-hmm. each reaction. And you said it was, was really helpful and open because you came to it with that, right? I remember you commenting that everyone was quiet mm-hmm. more time than you expected. Yeah, there were 10 of us and we waited for each other to respond and we didn't hurry in to fill the gaps in thinking space and we didn't call on, well, what do you say? What do you say? We just were waited Mm. silently while people collected their thoughts and opinions and we listened and there was some beautiful comments that came to the top from it. Mm. Speaking from my comment that I made was that reflective listening was really critical. We rush often to respond to someone without reflective listening. And then therefore we might get angry with something that we think someone has said, whereas if we checked what they said, they would have said, oh, no, that's not what I said. Or for me, what happened with daddy and I today is I needed to say the words that came out of my mouth were a rough draft, which we've referred to before. And if I were to think about it more and say it again, this is what I would say instead. Interpersonal communication, reflective listening, all have to happen once you've decided to have a relationship with someone that doesn't look like you or experience the same life as you. And so to your point about how easy it is for us to look at other people and say, you're an acquaintance, why do I really care to invest in you? True. (laughs) It is those people that you do have to choose to invest in. There is a level of, 
effort that comes with jumping outside of your sphere of understanding. And I think something pinpointed often in these kind of conversations and when tragedy happens is that it comes from a place of ignorance, Mm -hmm. which incites fear. Yes. And the only way to get rid of fear is to get rid of ignorance. And you can't get rid of ignorance without listening. And you can't listen without having a relationship first. So it it is those personal relationships that help things. Well, you know, I think that's totally true. And I think what we, Daddy and I discovered today is he at one point said that he disagreed with me. And it took us like a half an hour to figure out. I said, so what are you disagreeing with this point and this point? He said, no, I'm not disagreeing with that. (laughs) And he was able to unpack and discover, I don't disagree with anything that you've done. I am fearful for what you might do. So it was a what if fear about something that I hadn't done yet, but I could do. It took a lot of conversation to unpack that and unbury it because it was at the bottom of the suitcase. (laughs) And uh, we don't like to talk about our feelings and we're not even aware of our feelings. We we're aware of our evaluations and we call them feelings. Mm. I feel like mm. with the, when I say I right. feel like that's an evaluation instead of a feeling. But you're right in saying that I have chosen to be in relationship with him. It's difficult to, to extend that much grace, that much communication to somebody that we're just passing on the street. I mean, it's difficult to extend that much grace and communication to someone you know dearly too. <laughs> right. Yeah, but to strangers and strangers in the community that express themselves differently. It takes practice. It takes practice. It takes. It, take, it, takes, it practice. takes practice. When I was growing up, I went to a private school, mm-hmm. which meant that it was a mostly white school. Mm-hmm. I went to a church that I would say was much more diverse than my school yeah, was. Yeah, it was much more multicultural. I don't know how intentional that was of, of you, how you found our church or, or why, but there must have been conversations growing up about race in our household. I don't super remember them. I know that we had close friends of many different skin colors. Some of my, my greatest memories are of our church community that was so diverse. How much of that was intentional when you were like young parents? We liked the mix of community of people that we had at that small church in part because it was such a multicultural church. I will say when we started attending the church, we attended it because we initially had friends there and then we really liked the biblical teaching we were getting from the pastor and we liked the music. So it was like a kind of a combination of shallow things. I'm not super shallow because that is critical to our faith that we like the biblical teaching. But the mix of people that it attracted, that that particular church attracted, also really appealed to us. So much of systemic change happens in the home. And that is where our conversation perhaps could be helpful or just a, a brainstorming area. Because our whole podcast is about the greater home, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, a a growing family that has begun in one tight household. And I've really appreciated, this is almost an action step, which we'll get to later, but I really appreciated the suggestions for picture books on racism or picture books on just multiculturalism for kids. I think, when I think about it, one of my favorite books growing up was the two Everybody Makes Rice and Everybody Bakes Bread Mm. by Joey Barnes. 
Yeah, we I found those at a book fair at school. Everybody makes rice, and then I found that everybody bakes bread once. That's a beautiful picture of celebrating different ethnicities around the world. Because I think that is a, a lot of it. I mean, I think there's like two sides of this coin, especially when we begin with children. As much as in a, in a week like this, it's so easy to become so angry and frustrated and feel like very little has changed. The change that has happened has happened I think, in the home, in how easy it is to talk about things compared to when it was before. Is it easy? No. But is it easier than it was in the 1960s? Yes. Is it easier than it was when you were growing up? I'm sure. Mm. And so it's like giving ourselves the education and educating the next generation, the, the kids that are always growing, that racism is incredibly here, is <laughs> very much still alive and well, and that needs to change. And just to celebrate diversity, because I think one of the big problems that has masked, the, uh, like put a Band-Aid somewhere where there should have been deeper change was to say like, I'm colorblind, which is the opposite of what yes. you should really do. But that seemed like a good thing for a little while, you know, but it's not really accepting everyone. And that's what's so great about like just a little kid's picture book of like everybody bakes bread because this little kid went around to everyone in their community and learned how different cultures created the same sort of dish and it was a, it's a celebration of culture and that that is what will create equality when we can raise each of ourselves up within our own individuality. Yeah, I think you're on to something. I would say my generation we were raised to try to say we're colorblind and now people are trying to say uh we are color aware and we want to celebrate mm -hmm. it. So, we're not doing a very good job. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, at least we're, we're trying with those kind of books. Those books are valuable. The multi-ethnic learning community where we examined the different qualities of our ethnicities is valuable. Yeah, talk about that for a minute. What, what kind of an experience was that? It was really powerful. What it became in our small group, there was probably eight of us partly was talking about what our ethnicity was in the part of the country we were raised. So in our experience, we each had different experiences based on the part of the country we were raised in, in addition to our ancestral heritage. So it was valuable to hear about that, to hear about some of the similarities. People I have discovered, for instance, I can't speak for all people, but the Korean people I know, in some regard, have more similarities to me, even though they were raised on the other part of the world than, than I realized mm -hmm. by the nature of things that were talked about in their families and things that were not talked about, things that were kind of like taboo subjects. Yeah, just like personality style, like how loud are these people yeah. and those kind of so things. So that was yeah. helpful to learn that and to say, we have some similarities here in the, what was talked about at home, the volume at home, things that weren't talked about, all of that. I'm going through a, a little residency, a kind of ministry residency with a company called Forge that, that has similar things to it. It's kind of more faith related, but it asks the question, what is your culture and what is the culture that you step into every day in your workplace or whatever culture you've decided to really focus on? Um, and I just thought of that. It's kind of an interesting specific because part of systemic racism is believing that every person that has the same amount of melanin is the same yeah. and has the same experience. And 
that it really comes down to like households and you know what what is the culture that I come from is really like what are the four people that I live with right now and what is the based on the four five people that I lived with growing up and so my culture and my context that I walk into every day is as specific as my specific Trader Joe's on the east side of Manhattan Mm -hmm. you know and that brings such dignity and again going back to like what how can we practice this is how can we practice bringing dignity to the people that we see, whether we know them or not? Just to to never assume that you know their context, but to begin with a question instead. Yeah. And being willing to ask the question, being able to, to receive feedback, like we've talked about before, and reflective listening with people saying, this is what I understand. Am I accurate? Do Or does it need some correction, course correction? <laughs> yeah. In this week of anger and, and mourning, I've been turning to the word of God, my word of sanctuary, mm-hmm. because we are believers in Jesus and we want to be people that live like him. And he was the most open and humble example mm-hmm. there is of how to act in places mm-hmm. of justice when the system yeah. fails you. And I was struck today by two different Beatitudes of Matthew 5. Huh. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, very famous sermon. Yeah. But I, I kind of like looked at it differently and it gave me a little bit of hope. So hopefully this will be helpful. First, verse five of Matthew five, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole mm. earth was the version that I read. And it's all, anytime you're reading the Bible, it's easy to take it out of context and just be like, ha, my, <laughs> this is just like just in my context. And there's a specific context. It's not even the original mm. language that I was reading in, but I do believe because it is a sacred mm-hmm. text that it can be read for my context as long as I'm doing mm-hmm. it intentionally. Mm-hmm. All that to say, I realized, I, I liked, I first latched onto the word humble. God blesses those that are humble because the essence of humility is to be able to ask for help. Oh, um, yes. Humility like automatically infers quote unquote weakness or, or like an, an imperfection. No one who has humility is also trying to prove their own perfection Mm. and strength. So it recognizes your shortcomings. It asks for help. It wants you to learn from from others when you're humble. And then the reward for humility is that they will inherit the whole earth. And I used the English, even though it's not the original language, um, because it struck me this way, to flip those two last words and say that the reward for humility is gaining a whole earth. Oh, that's interesting reflection. Which still rang true for me, that if we really lived, which will never fully happen because we live in a evil-filled world, <laughs> in this world, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least. But if we did, if there was a society where we were each living in intentional humility every day, we would have a really whole, healed society mm-hmm. because we would be approaching each other with an understanding that we have shortcomings and asking to learn from the other person. Mm. So that was a, a really encouraging promise for me because it also like gave me a little action to say, okay, like there are, there are literally ways for me to act humble in the world that I live, which is to ask for other people's yeah. input. And the second one was just a couple, maybe it's just the next one, the attitude later. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or for justice was this mm. version, which helped. <laughs> um, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied. And I was really struck by hunger there and thirst, but I kind of lashed on to hunger because I thought about actual hunger in the world and the fact that it is like, it's, it is the most 
the most basic human instinct to be hungry. Hmm. And no human on the face of the planet is sitting there going, I'm just going to continue to be hungry. Like people go to ridiculous lengths. You think about like really impoverished countries of the world and they spend their whole lives every day looking for something to, to satisfy their hunger. Mm. No one who is hungry is like sitting there taking it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about this week. And that's what I see in a lot of people this week is in, um, an extra highlighting of, of a hunger for justice. But what if we were, I mean, if we really were hungry for justice, there'd be no way for, to stop us from working to get it, from working for a justice to be satisfied. Because it would be that in, instinctual, you know, like we couldn't live without it. What I know with a faith in Jesus is that when this world is over, there'll be a new earth that has all the promises, that is like the completion of all the promises Mm -hmm. in the Bible now. And so the idea that that satisfaction and justice will be achieved gives me hope to like keep acting and walking in those ways today. Mm. It's like a very ethereal thing to think about, of course. There's no like tangible way to prove that except to say that if I really am hungry, there's nothing that will stop me. So that's where I was encouraged today. I receive encouragement from that too. And the activeness, I really appreciate the perspective of when you hunger for justice, you, like you said, you will go to great lengths to satiate that hunger. And I think that this week has been a catalyst to remind us that we are hungry for justice. It's kind of like, wake up to hunger pains then you're like oh actually I'm really hungry I didn't realize it for a little while but I am good point really hungry like you could have you could be distracted from your hunger for a while but it doesn't go away permanently and then you recognize that you are really hungry so yeah. yeah well I will say I appreciate the people that have said this week, I repent of racism. I have heard a couple of people or read online a couple of people that have said, I repent of racism, including a person, a pastor of color that says, I'm a recovering racist. And the whole concept of being a recovering person of anything. Or of of racism being a spectrum is another analogy I heard this week that because it's so systemic that there's going to be things for definitely for my life that I'm going to discover every day and be like, I didn't know that there was another layer there. But how can I live unpacking in the language of recovery, making amends? How can I repent of it and, and say, okay, I need to live differently today. I need to do something Mm -hmm. active today. So I appreciate the lists that have come out (laughs) saying this is what you can do. Specifically, this is what you can do for Minnesota. This is what you can do um, to raise your voice in politics, in voting. Vote, Vote for change in the police system. Vote for change in all of the different government policies that we have, be attentive to the government policies that we have, not ignorant, not complacent. So concrete change that I will take today is we are, as a family, going to give to something in Minnesota, probably the Lake Street Council for the actual small businesses right there in Minneapolis that lost their businesses because of fire and looting and rioting. 
So we'll probably, that's a concrete thing that we'll do. Yeah. It feels like my road out of virtue signaling. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is maybe the start, which is sad. Like it's saddening in me to have to admit that, but it's important to admit it and then prove that I will be better um, by acting out of this. Mm -hmm. There's, there's so many uh, action steps around social media, places to give, places to vote. The other thing that I've been found really helpful are are the resources for learning. Mm-hmm. They're like the lists of Read these books, podcasts, yes. the lists of books, the list of TV mm-hmm. shows. It's like look, like it's not all like super serious. It's about understanding and celebrating cultures that don't look like yeah. you. Movies, which seems simple, but here we are <laughs> because it does take at least one step outside of like whatever is already in your psyche. And I'm excited about that. And I don't have a list here to read because I'm new Mm. in this part of the conversation. And I am just saying for accountability here that that's part of my life now, you know, to begin to listen to podcasts of those things, to engage in conversations, engage in those kinds of cultural shifts, because it is in the personal communication and uh, the celebration of all society that this is going to continue to change. Yeah, we will post links to some of those lists when we put this out because we, we have them. For me, my part, I repent of racism and I am a racist and I will take steps today to make amends and try to live differently. And that's, I can speak for today. That's right. One day at a time, as in all recoveries and every day in community. Yeah. So thanks for having this hard conversation with me, Ingrid. Um, Interpersonal communication, that's what our podcast is about and living life as adults in this. This is a new topic. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. I love you, Ingrid. Love you too, Mom. Hug. Hug. Distant high five. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hug and a High Five. Yep. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to suggest a topic, ask us a question, or share your mom-daughter story, please email us at hugandahighfivepodcast at gmail.com. That's hugandahighfivepodcast at gmail.com. All words, hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. Have a great week.